welcome to our executive order. My name's Natalie Wagler. I use she, her pronouns. I'm joined today by Jude and Chelsea. Um, we all work in the Associated Students of Western Washington University. And today we're gonna be talking about voter turnout, um, what drives voter turnout and what's the importance of it is and uh, what we're looking forward to in the upcoming November election. Um, so first of all, the importance of studying voter turnout is a little confusing. Sometimes people don't even really know what that word means. Um, but voter turnout is essentially just a gauge of where our democracy is at in terms of participation. Um, so high voter turnout is a sign of a really healthy democracy with a really active participating voter block. Um, Obviously, we vote for people who we want to represent us. So if we have low voter turnout rate, um, we can expect that we won't have an accurate representation of our population um, in our government. Um, this is also sometimes called a skewed electorate. Um, so when we have a high voter turnout rate, we can expect a more representative democracy, um, representative of the people. So just some quick little facts about the history of voting and voter participation. Um, the Voting Rights Act of 1965 led to a long-term increase in the ability of people to participate in elections and participate by voting. Um, the effects of other legislation has also been intended to increase turnout, um, like mail-in ballots and things like that. Um, the National Voter Registration Act has been less so. Um, so there's some different ways that voter participation has increased and decreased due to legislation. Um, and we're going to be talking a little bit more about voter suppression in our um, episode next week. Um, but that is also a result of legislation. Um, and we'll dive into that a little bit more later. Um, but Chelsea will get started on talking about who votes and who doesn't. Historically, higher levels of voter turnout um, are often accompanied by people who have more education, who have higher income. They are older and have or are married. Um, from 1980 to 2016, the percentage of votes with less than a high school degree shrunk from 21.4% to 5.1%. And this could in part be due to more people pursuing higher education, but also highlights inaccessibility. Um, also, voter turnout is higher among Black and white voters than Hispanic and Asian voters, according to the Pew Research Center. With these demographics, women consistently have higher voter turnout rates than men. And this is actually really interesting because, um, like within my household, my mom often votes for my dad. In, and in this, I mean, um, she keeps track of the ballots, the ballot books, and when it is time to sit down and tells them, okay, here are the choices. How do you want to vote? Who do you want to vote for? Um, and he sometimes will go from make sure it's a woman to um, are they Republican or Democrat? Or he might open the ballot book and go, I like that person's face, vote for them. So um, it's interesting because it actually makes sense that women are more consistent in the turnout rate. Um, yeah, in my family also, um, we're a family of three girls and then my dad and we like me and my mom and my sister all are like a lot more engaged and also see voting as a really important thing for us to do whereas my dad can sometimes see it as just something that happens um, so it's really interesting and really validating that women do vote on a more consistent level than men do it's funny because I almost have 
kind of the opposite situation with my household where I feel like my mom is the one that is super involved in politics and stays engaged. She keeps up with the news and knows when elections are happening. And she asks me a lot of those questions because she knows I'm the poli-sci major. And so you know, maybe living with her helps out with that a lot. But she pretty much never votes. And she's been a citizen for over 10 years, maybe 15 years. And uh, every single time I have to drag her to her mail-in ballot and then drag her to the post office and have her vote and have her turn in her ballot. And most of the time she still forgets to do it or she like has some excuse for why she can't make it. Meanwhile, my dad has rarely ever expressed any interest in politics to me, doesn't really talk about it, doesn't really keep up with the news or the issues, but he has a very high sense of responsibility as a citizen where he knows that, okay, at some point I'm going to get a ballot and then I need to fill that out and then I need to send that back right away because that's my responsibility as a citizen. Um, not that he's, you know, super passionate about any of the issues or what's on it. He just has that sense of duty that's super particular to him. It's really interesting to see how in our personal lives and in our households, we can see some of these statistics reflected or sometimes not reflected and then delve into a little bit of the reason behind why that may or may not be. So the next thing we want to look at is why voter turnout is so low. And we're going to get a little bit more in-depth into that conversation next week when we talk about historical voter suppression and particularly the ways that BIPOC voters are systematically excluded from voting, as well as the ways that maybe our non-citizens um, and other community members are barred from being able to participate in our political system in that form as well. Uh, but for now, we're going to give a little bit of an overview about voter turnout. So obviously, the most popular election that people tend to partake in is going to be the presidential election, so every four years in November. But there's also a ton of other elections that people tend to forget about, like midterms or local elections. These tend to have the lowest voter turnout, largely because there's way less press surrounding the elections and there's a lot less money bankrolling them as well. So you're not going to see nearly as much advertisement or media conversation, especially when you get to some of your local elections when, you know, bigger news sources aren't going to be super interested in covering elections when most of their readers aren't involved in that. So really puts it on us to pay attention to our local elections. So for a little bit of like statistics to throw in there, for midterm elections, the voter turnout rate is usually around 35%, while the general election, so the usually the presidential election, is going to be higher, around 60%. Kind of one, of one of the positives that we've noticed, though, is that voter turnout has been increasing, um, and that includes for midterm elections. So for example, in 2018, the midterm election voter turnout was 47% of the voting eligible population. And that is honestly huge for the United States track record of midterm voting. So good job our American citizens that are able to vote. Uh, but even 47% is not that much. So, you know, we want to kind of look at ways to see why people don't participate in that. Um, and, you know, what's missing that keeps people from getting engaged in voting. In 2016, among the estimated 18.9 million registered non-voters in America, 
the most common reason for not voting was dislike of the candidates or campaign issues. And so that's definitely a big draw that I think I've heard in my personal life um, about why people just decided to not vote. And there's a couple other reasons listed, like not being interested in the election or being too busy, having a conflicting schedule. And then about 2.2 million people said that having an illness or disability uh, what prevented them from voting. And so that's just another thing to take into account. But I was wondering, Natalie and Chelsea, if y'all have any ideas on, you know, other reasons why we see low voter turnout. Yeah, I think, especially for the first one, um, the dislike of candidates or campaign issues, I think a lot of times we can look towards people who are running as like saviors of what's happening. And that's just really not the case and not what candidates are there for. Candidates are human beings that have personal opinions just like we do. And we can't expect somebody to be perfect and match with our values 100%. So it's a lot about like pros and cons and weighing your options of does this person align with me more so than this other person does and it's never going to be 100%. That's the main reason how we can get more people registered to vote is if more people realize that the people we're voting for are never going to be perfect and are never going to align with us 100% but it's about getting somebody in office that we can align with more closely with our values. Um, I think it's interesting because I one of the bigger things that stands out to me or that I hear a lot is um, voting for the lesser evil and interestingly enough like in my household also there's sometimes a skew between well they're both evil so I'm not going to vote for either. Balance of negativity and along with what Natalie said I think it's important to remember that not everyone will match with your um with everything that you want. Not all your boxes will be checked in an election um, or in a candidate. And you also have to keep in mind that yes, these are other humans. These are people, they have emotions, they have feelings, and they also have opinions that may or may not change. Um, just like how some people may vote Republican on one thing and Democratic on another matter, um, candidates do the same thing in the matter of having opinions that sway this way or that way. So I think the biggest thing is to remember that like there are humans behind. I think for a lot of voters, it's such a one and done process. And we also have to be aware that, you know, the candidate that's presented to us isn't always going to be the candidate that actually gets into office. And so a lot of them can promise things, they can you know, campaign on a certain stance, but then once they get into office, they're not always going to follow up on those, especially if they know that they don't have people and their constituents watching them and taking note of what they're doing and what they aren't doing, what promises they're keeping, what promises they're not keeping. And if they don't think that's going to affect them in the next election, um, you know, there's way more opportunity for these candidates who are now office holders to go in their own direction. Yeah, I think that's a great point and goes to show that voting isn't the only way that you need to be civically involved. Um, once people are elected, you still have to hold them accountable. And if their constituents aren't reaching out and telling them to stand up for what they believed in in their campaign, um, then there's no reason for that candidate to stay true to their values so that we voted them in for. So it's really important that we're 
keeping up with that and holding them accountable for the things that they promised while they were campaigning. Um, and when a candidate does a really good job at things like that, um, that can drive voter turnout when a candidate is well liked. Um, so we're going to go briefly into what increases voter turnout. Um, as we've been seeing in recent years, voter turnout has been increasing a lot, which is great, especially among young voters like college students um, and just generally 18 to 25 is voting at a lot higher rate than usual. But in general, there's this thing called the cost benefit calculation that MIT has introduced um, that is basically people weigh the pros and cons of voting and the reasons why they would vote versus why they wouldn't. The reasons why people vote typically have to do with how contested a race is. So the more contested a race is, they typically will have higher turnout. Um, and specifically in even years rather than odd years, um, even years have higher turnout rate, um, which is where the elections are a little bit bigger, like um, for president, Senate, Congress, governor, those types of positions, um, while odd years that have a lot lower turnout are typically for local elections like city council, county commission, things like that. Um, less anticipated elections, um, they do not have as high a voter turnout rate. And the closeness of a race between a party's potential nominees is a really important influence also, according to the Washington Post. Um, so that would be like in a presidential primary between two Democrats that will have like really high voter turnout rate um, or between two Republicans, those are really contested and those increase voter turnout rate as well. Um, but contrasting that in the primary earlier this year, we saw extremely high voter turnout rate for a primary. Um, but according to the closeness of a party's potential nominees, we didn't have that earlier this year. Um, the Democratic or Republican presidential primary weren't contested. Uh, we knew that Joe Biden was going to be the presidential nominee for the Democrat side. We knew Donald Trump was gonna be the Republican nominee. So that typically would mean a lower voter turnout rate, but we saw a really high voter turnout rate regardless of that. That can typically mean that voters right now are more mobilized than they ever have been before. People are excited to get out and vote. They realize the importance of their vote, vote more than ever. Um, and even given increasing voter suppression efforts, people are finding ways to vote and are turning out in really high numbers, which is really exciting. It's also interesting to see the movement of mail-in ballots that is definitely increasing during this time where you are seeing more and more states and citizens saying, you know, we want mail-in ballots, we want um, or here are the resources for mail-in ballots. This is how you do an absentee ballot. And overall, especially on social media, I'm seeing more and more um, representation of people's voter experiences with different types of ballots, um, as well as more images and coverage of people who still have to go in and vote in person. It's interesting during, um, during a pandemic where you can see priorities are laying, as well as um, who's prioritizing, you know, vote over health. And I think that a lot of um, our younger generation, and I know um, mail-in ballots are big in Washington, people around them to advocate for mail-in ballots in all states. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I'm from Montana, where we have absentee ballots, but a lot of people still go to the polls to vote. Um, there's kind of a general fear of absentee ballots. Um, 
and people like to attribute that to like voter fraud and things like that, which has been disproven and is not true at all. But um, now, given the pandemic in a lot of states like Montana or like other states that are generally more conservative when it comes to voter laws um, are utilizing mail-in ballots more than before because of the pandemic. So it's interesting that this situation has kind of given rise to more progressive voter laws like like mail-in ballots and hopefully that it will continue and people will realize that it's a great system to use and we'll continue this after the pandemic as well and hopefully we'll give more people ease in voting um, especially like what we talked about before like people's schedules are sometimes a main reason why they can't vote and so mail-in ballots give people a lot more flexibility so it'll be interesting to see after this year um, how many states will continue using mail-in ballots that didn't before. I've never voted in person and I've only used mail voting for pretty much my entire life and so if you know one day I moved to a state where they said yeah we don't do mail-in voting I would have to just relearn that whole process of, of voting for me and you know that's to me, I'm like, I'm never going somewhere where they don't have mail-in ballots. Like, I refuse. That's too much work. I'm not standing in a line. I can't do it. Um, and that's me speaking with my privilege of, you know, being able to do that so easily. So um, I'm really excited next week to talk especially more about absentee ballots and mail-in ballots and the reasons that progressive voter laws don't get passed everywhere or why they're challenged and you know how that really impacts people who don't have the privilege to just take time off or be a student that can go to a polling center have the transportation the accessibility to register but since we were kind of talking a little bit about what this election is going to look like now uh, we kind of want to talk about some of our voter turnout predictions for this election. And I was doing a little bit of fishing around um, on the internet because it looks like a lot of news sources are reporting that this November 2020 election is probably just going to be one of the largest voter turnout events in the history of the United States. There is actually one uh, political scientist over at University of Florida that called it a voter turnout storm of the century in 2020. Um, and so just to kind of give you all an idea of why so many news outlets and political scientists are saying this. Um, in the prior to the 2000 election, so the election that was between Al Gore and Bush, 51% uh, of the voters believed that the major party candidates were articulating differing positions on issues, um, compared to 33% who saw that they were taking similar positions. Meanwhile, a study by the Pew's Research Center um, that I believe was just released a few days ago, but they did this survey in July and August, said that 86% of respondents perceived the candidates as differing on issues, um, while only 90 or while only 9% see similarities. And so if we kind of go back to talking about how contested races really influence voter, voter turnout. Um, you know, this is definitely going to be one motivating factor is that more and more people are seeing that the choice of president is going to have a substantial impact on you know, our, our quality of life and our culture and our habits. Also prior to the 2000 election, 50% of voters thought that it really mattered who won. And then the other 44% basically thought that things would be like about the same either way. Meanwhile, this year, a record 
So 83% of respondents say that it really matters who is going to be the president. And that is both for Democrats and for Republicans. So I was just kind of wondering, like, what are you expecting for voter turnout this year? I think that in the past few years, we've seen like unprecedented voter turnout among young people, especially, which is really exciting for me as a young person. I think this year, information has become a lot more accessible and the rise of information on social media has increased a lot. And I think that that will make young people even more feel motivated to go out and vote because they'll have the information. Um, With the internet, things are really easily accessible and even more so this year with the pandemic, I think people have been sharing information a lot more. So I'm hoping that that um, is the impetus that people need to get out and vote. I think it's hard to avoid anything on the topic of voting because of how prevalent it is in social media now. Um, As you scroll through Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, you know, you have at the top of your screen a banner asking, are you registered to vote? Have you voted yet? Um, Are you part of one point blah 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 million other people who have registered in your state and I think that because that is harder to avoid I think that this year it will be uh, interesting to see how social media influences the voting process um, with another generation of kids being able to vote um, who they vote for when they vote if they vote early um, I've been seeing those are you registered banners since early August tells me that there's no excuse for you to not be registered to vote unless there's something actively blocking that process. I just wanted to add that I totally agree. I think that social media has made information a lot more accessible and given the huge spike in youth voter turnout in 2018, I expect the same for this year. And um, I think that voting has become more of like a norm, sort of, Um, like what Chelsea mentioned with the banners on social media. I've been getting emails, like even from brands like American Eagle has been telling me to register to vote and um, like Target on their website, it's there's a button to register to vote. So these big corporations are even encouraging it. And it's not just a political thing anymore. It's just something that you need to do. Um, And I think that that push by from all ends from on social media to shopping to like celebrities like everyone is telling people to register to vote and I think that that push will really increase the voter turnout rate this year. But who is really getting involved in the push for turnout um, and I think I urge people to just pay attention to that. Uh, who Who's advocating for mail-in ballots? Who's advocating for um, safe and accessible voting, who's advocating for registering to vote, who's saying, hey, here's a quick link to register to vote, who's being silent in this time. Um, So I think that's important to pay attention to. Kind of going to another topic, I feel like one thing I've heard a lot, especially in these past like six months, is a lot of people in that younger voting demographic starting to really question the political system that we have and if voting really is meaningful. Um, And I know that from my perspective, I think that voting 
even in like the presidential election, even when you don't like the candidate, is still really valuable just to have your voice heard. Um, but also because, you know, that ballot doesn't just have the president, it's also, ha it also, you know, you're not just voting for the president, you're voting for the cabinet, you're voting for officials that are leading organizations like the EPA. Um, and you're really deciding who is going to be fitting into all these little offices and bureaucratic leadership positions that we genuinely don't think about on a daily basis. I always just see like a crazy story of, oh, let's see who's the head of this organization and what their ties are. And the public really has no way to contest. If like you see someone and you don't think they should be heading a major federal organization, there's no way to really get them out on your own. There's no voting system to, to remove them or replace them with someone else. And so I think we do really need to be cognizant of when we have the privilege to vote is, you know, what other spaces are we filling with this, with this vote? And because so many people have been saying, you know, they don't want to vote for either party, um, I did recently learn this cool fun fact um, but according to the Federal Election Commission, if a third party gets 5% of the popular vote, they're eligible for public funding in the next election cycle. So, you know, there is some hope for third party candidates in the two party system. Um, and I have seen a lot of people also citing that knowledge. And, and you know, I learned it from a student that, you know, I was kind of arguing with a little bit because I didn't understand why they didn't want to vote for, for one or the other candidate. Um, and so this was a really good moment to kind of check my privilege, be aware of the other pathways that are currently available, um, and you know, also just have the responsibility to pass that information along as well. Um, pay attention definitely off what Jude said to who you're voting for because you're also like, you're voting for the Speaker of the House. You're voting for um, so many people that you don't think about when you're voting for president or, but there are, there are people who are hired and who fill positions um, in cabinet and in Congress that you don't, you don't think about when you're voting in such a big election like the presidential. The, president or whoever you're voting for, as well as speaking to their practices. Um, and you may think them to be, you know, small fish, but they, they matter. Um, so definitely think about who they may also put into positions when you're voting for a candidate. With that, I just want to remind everyone listening that you have until October 26th to update your voter registration online on votewa.gov. Um, if you've recently moved, you'll need to update your address, or if you haven't registered at all, now is a great time. Um, so votewa.gov to update your, vo your voter registration online by October 26th in Washington. Um, if you miss that deadline, you can register to vote in person at your county auditor's office up until the election. So there's no excuse not to vote in Washington. You have lots of resources to get registered. Um, and you can always reach out to us on Instagram at ASWW underscore OCE, and we can help you get registered. Um, we are going to be going into some of these topics of what prevents folks from voting a little bit more in depth next week. And we're really excited to kind of tackle some of those questions. So 
Thank you for tuning in. This has been Chelsea, Natalie, and Jude on our executive order. Signing off.